welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, we're moving slightly off piste, and with that in mind, I'm delighted to be joined by Lawson Muncaster, Managing Director and Co-Founder of City AM. Lawson is one of the most recognised and well-connected men in British media. He's one of the founders of City AM, one of Britain's most widely read daily business newspapers, and has been Managing Director of the paper since its inception in 2005. In that time, the paper has grown in circulation, influence and profitability, and is currently embarking on a major investment in its online presence. A native of Largs, Scotland, his extensive media career began at Scottish TV in 1988 and was followed by a move to London where he worked for Eurosport. He was promoted to UK Sales Director at Eurosport before becoming Sales Director with outdoor advertising company Mills & Allen in 1997. He moved back to television in 1999, joining the cable network CNN as Sales Director covering the UK and Scandinavia. Prior to the foundation of City AM, he was Vice President of Global Sales for the free newspaper group Metro International. Age 52, Lawson is married with four children and has homes in London and North Berwick. He's a single-figure golfer and he supports Celtic Football Club. Going back to the start of, of City AM, was there much money involved in originally setting up the paper and how did you manage to, to raise it? Um, I think the what I have learned is setting up a media company. Um, is, it costs a lot of money. And what we were trying to do was find a partner that would allow us um, a 50% stake um, for not 50% of the money required to put into the business. Um, and we found ourselves um, discussing, uh, indeed, uh, joining forces um, with two pronounced uh, uh, Dutch businessmen uh, and, and businesswomen, three in total, um, Bedevin Pullman, um, Dirk Sauer, um, and Anna Meek. And they um, saw the shared division. Um, they were very much uh, aligned to media because they'd been involved in the media business in, in, in Moscow um, and had done very, done very well there. Um, their primary focus is a, is a business called Postcode Lottery, which is the, the third largest private lottery in the world, predominantly in the UK, obviously, as you've seen, uh, but obviously in their homeland of, of Holland and now venturing into Germany as well. So we, 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 we came across some very um, strong, generous, um, similar people. Um, they allowed us the monies, and there's no secret. Um, we, we, it cost us about £8 million pounds to get the business up and running and get to profitability. Um, and obviously, um, we've paid back some of that money, but we still have uh, some way to go. Um, but it gave us the, the, the time needed to... A, come to the market, get the market to see that it wasn't just a, a free uh, metro focusing on um, the, the younger parts of the city and the, the more administrational side. It really had a serious agenda to attract um, business um, people uh, of a senior elk and, and really try to help them do their job. Um, and I think where we were allowed to do that was we could, we could focus on um, targeting and employing 20 journalists and 20 good journalists focusing directly in the business community of London. Um, and where we had the, the savings to do that, unlike the Metro model, was the geographical targeting of, of, of the business community um, is A, in terms of numbers, a lot smaller, 
that'd be a lot more cost efficient. So obviously, if you have a, a metro product with a, with a geographical target of M25 and putting out a million copies, that's a lot of cash just before you start. And the demographic you you, you encourage and you so you attract with that is um, more of an adult, 16 to 24, um, and you don't get as much of a premium for your advertising dollar if you were obviously um, targeting a more senior business audience. So that was which, which allowed us um, to sort of change the model from, from what the Metro model was and it allowed us to give us that resource to invest in the editorial product and that in turn brought the, the readers with them. So that's that's one part of the equation I would definitely say we've got right. Um, and 15 years on, uh, we're still, you know, we're, stuck, we're still talking to over uh, two and a half million people online a month and obviously the paper's not been out since, since, since COVID but that will return, um, not telling secrets out of tail here, but that will be returning soon. So um, with the same sort of level of, of distribution as we had before pre-COVID, but probably targeted in a slightly different way, um, that I will keep to myself. Fair play. So so from that standing start, how, how um, difficult did you find it to, to build the loyal following which you've clearly got? Um, I, I mean, if you go to the true, the true, you know, the true uh, meaning of what marketing is, if you take a product to a consumer and you hand it to free, hand it to, to them for free, um, that's a pretty, pretty simple marketing theory. If you don't like it, you, you, you pop it in the bin and you never pick it up again, or, or you don't receive one from a from a distributor. Um, so it was quite a, it was quite a, a, an open wound, if you like, if, if it hadn't worked. People did throw it in the bin, but but luckily people kept it and uh, and continued to, to pick it up on a on a daily level, um, and, and therefore that gave us obviously hope. And and, and I think by the by the time we were sort of two years old, we, we kind of were quite comfortable, not arrogant, but comfortable that the, the demographic that we were trying, probably slightly younger than we are today. Probably more than the average age is about 36, 38. Um, and that figure sort of rose into maybe more 42, 44 now in, in today's world. Um, but what we did know was um, through obviously advertising feedback, you know, what products were doing well, um, what, 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 um, what responses we had from certain campaigns or indeed editorial um, competitions, et cetera, was it, it sort of fitted in that, in that, that, that sort of, younger dynamic business type or, or, or the audience of London. So we were pretty, pretty much comfortable with that, you know, two years down the line. Um, like anything, though, um, the media world is very competitive. And, and therefore, the, the more difficult part was getting the slice of cake from the ad market and really convincing both the advertisers, but also the avatar agencies that the research was robust and all that takes time, you know, and, and, and so we we very much invested in research um, across the board from YouGov to ABC uh, and all the sort of notable uh, research uh, yardsticks that are used by the ad industry. Um, so we had nothing to hide. And I think also what really helped us more than anything else, we didn't chase circulation. So the ad market knew that if, if we were saying we were um, delivering 99 or 100,000 copies, we're quite canny every, for us, for every copy that wasn't read is a waste of money from us in production. So, you know, we, we, we weren't, it was always about quality rather than quantity. And, and do you think um, that that quality over quantity uh, kind of um, philosophy that you've had there is, is one of, or, or perhaps the major uh, key to the enduring success of the paper? I, I think it's very difficult to, looking back, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, where 
you know, the media landscape was a, a totally different uh, life cycle. I think that what we were quite comfortable with, that although the, the, the decline in newspapers or, or the printed products we talked about for many years, if you were targeting a product that was self-selecting in a geographical area that was thematic, people would still pick up that paper. And if you had the style of how the editorial product came across, that sort of serendipity within a two-page spread, you can have 18, 20 stories that you can flick, download, and, and, and really consume that knowledge for that moment, that day. Um, people would still have an interest in doing so. And, and 15 years later, I'm absolutely convinced when the paper comes back in London uh, very shortly, we'll see that pick up as the same as it was pre-COVID or indeed 15 years ago. I mean, arguably, I mean, we could probably put a lot more papers out to the marketplace that would be picked up. Unfortunately, um, the ad market would not pay that amount of money more for those papers to be on the streets. Who knows in the future? But we have to make sure that we balance our books to ensure that we have the paper coming back out and, and having enough money to pay the right journalists at the right price and the right number to create the quality of the product. So you, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act. Now, as you mentioned, we've obviously had quite an extraordinary um, 18 months ago. How did the pandemic affect the running of, of this widely read city paper? Obviously, no commuters, presumably reduced ad revenues, although I should also imagine uh, some fairly decent savings on printing costs. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you're spot on. I mean, the, the, the stark reality that faced Jens and I, my partner, was, and also Harry Owen, our CEO, and, 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 and Andy and everyone else within the management team, and also everybody at City AM was, it wasn't a brain surgeon to tell us that if you've got no readers, there's no ad market, um, you've got to stop the paper. Now, what that does is it tells you what you're advertising. I think online revenues contributed in pre-COVID levels to something like 18% of our total revenue. So, you know, it was, it was, it was quite a significant loss. But you're right, the, the paper and printing aspect of it is a very cost-intensive cost um, pastime. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we had to borrow money. We had to, unfortunately, make some people redundant on, you know, nine months into paying, paying them. We gave every, you know, it was, we thought we were coming back last October, um, but we just simply couldn't justify putting a paper on the streets um, and, a, a, you know, the loss of something in the equipment to maybe £300,000 a month. And that's just not viable. Um, so we've we've had to be patient. Yes, we've obviously worked in a much more remote way, but a very frustrating way. Um, I know for a fact that our our product will get better and stronger. Um, but once we have everyone back in back in the office together, you know, dealing and I think it, it's younger. It's you know, journalists themselves want to be involved with a debate. Uh, I think salespeople enjoy the camaraderie of of working together. And also, we're quite a small team. I mean, pre-COVID, we were probably 50 staff, and we're probably down about 30 at the moment, and that'll probably rise back up to that number 50 when the paper returns. But there's a, there's a real camaraderie in that, and I think that's testimony to the management and, and, and everybody that belongs in the, in the City M ship, and, and, and that passion and that, and that ability to, to transfer its focus from, from the paper product, online magazines, um, events, etc., just physically, just focus totally on what the online issue product was, was, was probably our silver lining of this whole COVID, uh, COVID pandemic.
Now, you mentioned that the uh, print version is, is coming back very shortly. Um, would you see that or the online part of the business as, as the main driver of growth from here, or, or perhaps the two are simply complementary? Um, I think I think for our aspirations, uh, we are now definitely a digital business uh, in terms of there will always be um, probably three, even when we go back with the paper, three to four times more people interacting with our products online than offline. Um, but I think that the core focus of a libertarian focused business editorially in London um, is where that where that editorial content is manifest. We need to have a product like the paper to to to, to force to force our business to 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 write for that and allow the more online products to be um, the the bridge and the and and the and the access to what's happening in London. We're not wanting to talk to people in New York about business in New York. We're wanting people from New York to look at CityM.com and see what London's thinking about a particular part of business. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and, and bear in mind, 100,000 people picking up a headline in the morning, um, they have their own uh, social media vehicles and online vehicles then to, to take that forward. So, in fact, it's actually probably a, a, a tool to enable people to, to um, and, and, you know, amplify their own messages. And provided that we, they trust us and provided we uh, maintain the editorial standards we have to date, um, I think that that, that that will continue and blossom. And I mean, again, you've referred to it there. More broadly, what, what are your sort of thoughts on um, print journalism in general? Certainly, we're well aware that the younger generation um, are consuming news, TV and all the rest of it in, in very different ways than we might have done uh, a couple of decades ago. So, so what do you think about print journalism for the next five to 10 years? I think there'll, there'll always be a sense of authoritarianism about, you know, uh, about print product. Um, I think that it's got a huge place to, to be part of the, the sort of uh, the ecosystem of what media news is. I think that we all face incredibly difficult times with what is true, what is what is false, um, and I think some of the the online products. I've got to start taking stock off that and, and, and try and think about, it's not about being first to the market, be the story true or false. It's more about getting the story there that's true. And I think those ethics um, will be looked upon much deeper. I think the younger generation understand that a lot more. Um, and I think this COVID pandemic has probably given the normal person in the street a much more uh, much more transparent view of what 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 is behind media, and I think you know going forward, um, those that don't adhere to editorial integrity uh, will be found out a lot quicker. Um, but as in terms of responsibility, I think that if you look at how the government used mainstream media in general, but obviously newspapers at the heart of their communication process, they were the ones that got you know, Brit the British population to take this very seriously in terms of what to do and stay at home. And, and yes, there was some uh, nasty um, stories in the news um, that were probably uh, fed by, you know, very, very, various people with different agendas and that didn't look so good. Um, but what it did do, it, it certainly demonstrated the power, not in a unique manner, but how the newspaper industry fits with with the new industry, and I think 
I think it's it's probably wrong to say the new and old now. I think most um, newspapers are now groups that incorporate both on and offline. Um, I think they're all seeking to have worlds with their own um, audiences going in and out of those worlds, be that from online to shopping to to clubs to 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 the to the main paper itself. And I think I think there there is a, there's a certain element that. You know, a newspaper is kind of a cheat more. I think, you know, if you if you look at what you time in, in terms of the traditional newspaper model, and hence, the you know, you look at the successes of both, the, you know, Financial Times at the weekend um, when people have got more time. I mean, I think the one of the beauties I have to say about City M, which is slightly, you know, it's, it's not quite in that news, newspaper fold, is that we want someone to have the ability to download our paper in 10 minutes. Um that allows them to fill that knowledge gap. Um, and if they want to take more time on, on particular stories or uh, more of the sort of lifestyle aspects, or that's that's a more timeless place to read it. But I think City M's editorial product in the paper is probably obsolete by uh, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock that morning. So, so what about some of the things that are, are coming in, along with this digital transformation? I mean, a lot's been spoken, for example, about robo. Uh, journalism as something of a shortcut. Have you got any thoughts on development such as that one? That's not for us. Um, I can see algorithms and scraping machines doing it for certain segments and certain uh, non-factual bases. But I think I think when it comes to, uh, it sounds a little bit more like a glorified uh, news cutting service rather than you know original journalism being created by 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 um, artificial intelligence. I may be wrong, but I I I don't think that that's round the corner for business journalism at the moment. I think what can be done on that basis is obviously more factual. So it just be very simplistically here, but you know it's been done for years and years when the FTSE you know prices change etc. That can all be done automatically, and and and, and so it will be. But I think um, until until judgment, intelligence, timing, luck, opinion. Um, that all goes into business transactions uh, is around. I think that will struggle with business journalism. Very fair point. Well, well made and well taken. Uh, finally, Lawson, what about you? Are you an investor and/or trader? How are you seeing the markets at the moment? Obviously, you're very close to the uh, investment community. Perhaps you've got some Celtic shares. From a private equity perspective, I'm probably not a very good investor since I haven't paid back my original money for City AM yet. So. Um, I wouldn't look upon my advice to anybody. Um, I, I say that tongue in cheek. I think creating a media business and, and what we've done with and where we've got is phenomenal. And that's testament to a lot of the people that have been involved. Putting up a perspective on that number, um, Lord Rothermere and, uh, 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 and Rupert Murdoch both invested more than £50 million each in the London paper and the London light that didn't succeed. Uh, and we've been going around for 15 years and we spent eight. So that's just testimony to to what 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 our group of uh, individuals have done um, in terms of the, the markets, it's quite strange that they seem to be rather settled through COVID. Um, if, if not quite buoyant, um, we have a, a cryptocurrency website now, Crypto AM, um, and obviously the, the 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 volatility in that marketplace will continue. And I think there's a there's, you know, there's, there's, there's the negative side that says that, you know, politics will stop it and government will stop it. And that's the fear factor of these cryptocurrencies. 
But then there's the other side of it, and this is where I, uh, this is why I love business and I love pro, pro positivity, and I genuinely put my hand and heart on to the fact that I think business is leaders out of trouble. Um, I think politicians are, are, are not as good as as business are because if an Amazon or a, a or any major um, business were to accept crypto, the, the cryptocurrency thing would move over a lot quicker. So there's that kind of debate going on. I, I look upon that with a bit of, you know, I, I started off with skepticism. I'm now 100% sure that cryptocurrency is here to stay. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's it's not, I'm, whether it's the share price, I'm not that, I'm not bothered about it. But for my knowledge, I believe crypto will become more and more of a tool being used by individuals. Therefore, if that's the case, it will get bigger. Therefore, from an investment portfolio, it will definitely increase in someone else's portfolio, which thus will therefore put their prices up. So I think that I think that that run is still very much in its infancy, and if, yes, it will have some hiccups on its way. Celtic shares, well, two weeks ago, you'd have thought, sell, sell, sell. Who's this Australian comedy man coming to coach us that hasn't even got a European a European badge? Well, I can assure you now, I'm buying, buying, buying. We've had two weeks of absolute um, wonderful change around at Parkhead. Um, I'm delighted that Mr. Dermot Desmond. And Chris Trader, the boys that own the club, have been, you know, instrumental in being making a brave decision um, with a new coach. And I'm, I'm, I'm in, enjoy watching the football and a certain Japanese gentleman um, following the footsteps of a previous. So hopefully, I'll see him in the Champions League uh, uh, in in future years, putting out Manchester United, putting out Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here first, listeners. Keep an eye on Celtic. Um, well, we've run out of time, unfortunately, Lawson. So many thanks for your time and those terrifically uh, valuable insights. That's Lawson Munkaster, the Managing Director and Co-Founder of City AM. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.